BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome back. Before we start this episode, wanted to give a few announcements. I am putting out extra content on my Patreon. If you didn't hear about it, I have peripheral hoodies and baseball tees out on the genypod.com website. I think they're pretty cool. A few people have bought them. I want you guys to take pictures and selfies in them and send them to me. So if you're listening, please do that. I was on another podcast called Doing It Different. It's a fun little interview. Tyler and his wife are the hosts and they talk about or they talk to somebody that lives their life differently or does something differently than the norm. And they thought it would be fun talking to me. Check that out if you like. On today's episode, I have three different stories. They were all shorter stories. These were stories about medical illnesses that are hard to diagnose but have extreme impacts on people's lives. The first story is a friend of mine named John who was a police officer and suffered a stroke. The second story is from Beth who suffers a concussion, but it's not exactly as simple as hitting your head and getting over it in a few days. The last story comes from Ashley who suffered all of her life from endometriosis, undiagnosed, which later led to serious health issues and effects for her. All of these stories revolve around misdiagnosis, revolve around health issues that seem to be commonplace, but people might not know so much about them. I was very much surprised by all three of the stories. I learned something from each one, and after collecting all three, I decided this was the perfect episode to put them together. So first up is John. Yeah, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess uh, I would like you to introduce yourself and then just kind of give a rundown on what you were doing 
pre and then what happened post? Uh, my name is John Rollitz. Um, it was April of 2003. I was a police officer with the Weatherby Lake Police Department. I can't remember the exact date, but it was, I believe it was April 7th or 8th. It was, I remember it was the first week. But I'd been an officer for Weatherby Lake for a little under a year at that time, maybe a year. I can't remember the exact time, but I had been on overnights and midnight shifts forever, and my you know my sleep schedule was all messed up. And I had finally got assigned to the day shift, which for anyone who's in uniform law enforcement, that's wonderful because you actually get to be out there in daylight and interact with humans yeah. instead of being in the darkness all the time. And uh, remember, I had got up that morning, um, took a shower, got my uniform, body armor, all, all my crap on <laughs> was walking out the door to my car to go drive to work when i reached up and realized i hadn't shaved and i was afraid that my chief and my supervisors would give me a bunch of crap um, for not shaving and not looking professional so i turned back go back into the house and lathered up start shaving and as i was doing it, i looked in the mirror and i had already woke up with a headache but i had assumed it was just a sinus stuff at the time from allergies but when i was shaving i looked in the mirror and then i saw best way to describe it, it was like a big white light kind of like if someone had one of the old kind of uh, flashbulb cameras inside my head and, and take pictures through my eyeballs and then um the world kind of turned counterclockwise which in actuality was me falling to the floor and what was apparently three or four hours later um i was uh woken up in my bed by uh, my roommate's uh, wife, who I, I lived lived in their house at the time, and uh, she was telling me there was someone on the phone for me. I don't remember getting back in bed. I was laying in my bed in my full uniform, you know, boots and everything. It was my chief um, wondering where I was, and I didn't know where I didn't really know where I was at the time either. What what had happened, and pretty much I I told them I was sick. Um, I am also a type 1 diabetic, and at the time, I was I thought maybe something had happened, like a super low blood sugar or something, and um, I just told them something was going on, and I'd have to get back to them. I was still trying to figure out what happened, and my body just wasn't working. You know, I couldn't stand up, couldn't move around. The body just wasn't doing what I was telling it to. couldn't move my arms or legs or anything right, and when I did, it just kind of flopped all over. And apparently, my speech was pretty impaired, too, and... Uh, Memory was a little spotty at what had happened next, but I remember my roommate and a neighbor carrying me out to a car, and they drove me to the uh, emergency room at the Liberty Hospital. They held me there for they held me they they kept me there for a couple days, and my blood sugar was pretty high. Anyone who's familiar with diabetes, you know, blood sugar of five to six hundred that's pretty serious and can be life threatening. And uh, they assumed that I just ate too much sugar and take enough insulin, and it, it was just a diabetic issue. What, what is that called? Like a diabetic attack, or just uh, it's like layman terms is just called high blood sugar. Uh, ketoacidosis okay. is the condition when your blood sugar gets so high that your body starts basically feeding on itself for uh, for energy. Um, I think what you're thinking about is what's called an insulin reaction. Some people will call it insulin shock or okay. improperly a seizure, and that's when the blood sugar is too low, and that's something that can actually cause death pretty quickly. But this is the opposite. It's what happens when a diabetic eats too much sugar or just doesn't compensate for what they eat with, with yeah. medication. But uh, that's what the 
doctors and the staff at the emergency room assumed it happened to me. I remember them pumping me full of insulin to, to get my blood sugar down and giving me lectures on taking care of myself. And I'd had diabetes for 20 years, so I, I knew how to take care of myself. I just had endured the lectures. And then on the second or third days when they decided I was safe enough to leave, but I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up. That's never happened to me. I've had high blood sugars before. That just never was never part of it. That it wasn't the symptom of it. Mm-hmm. But they said, "Oh, you'll you'll be fine. Just just get out." <laughs> Basically, so they put me in a wheelchair. Wheelchaired me to my car or to my my mother's car. She, my mother, came to to pick me up that day. Yeah, because you're not doing a lot of driving yourself. No, 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 no whatsoever. I was still not feeling well, but because the blood sugar was high, the emergency room staff figured they did their job and just sent me on my way. So my mother took me to her house, and I was going to spend a couple days there until I felt 100% again. And uh, when I got there, I still couldn't walk, couldn't stand up. My speech was still kind of impaired. She and my father had to help me into the house. They stuck me in my old, my old bedroom from when I was a kid. They watched me a couple times to go to the bathroom. I had to literally crawl down the hallway, and it wasn't a pretty crawl either. It was, was kind of like in the Army when you're under fire, the super low crawl where you're just dragging everything. Yeah. And that's just to get to the bathroom down the hall, and then they decided, you know, something else is going on here. So they packed me up, took me back to Liberty Hospital, and took me to an endocrinologist, which is a doctor who specializes in diabetes. After two minutes of me sitting with her, she said, you know, something else is wrong here. So she took me over to the real hospital, and they started doing CAT scans and MRIs and everything. And lo and behold, I'd had a stroke. They called it a cerebral vascular accident. And then they started treating me for that. What is Um, the treatment for that? um, Well, first, they... A lot of the MRIs and CAT scans are just trying to figure out what the hell caused it to make sure it doesn't happen again because, um, you know, sometimes you can have a whole bunch of them in a row, mm-hmm. just sequences of them. Yeah, if you have like a um, tumor or something, it can trigger that, I guess. Yeah, there are all kinds of little reasons. Uh, but basically what a stroke is, it's, um, well, I'm, I'm no doctor, so if I use improper terminology, I mean, please sure. forgive me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um it's basically when either there's a blockage to a blood vessel in the brain or like a burst blood vessel. Basically, it's when the area of the brain is deprived of oxygen and basically dies or, or gets permanent damage done to it. Well, the brain is what controls like every aspect of your body. So it doesn't matter where in the brain you get any damage. If a brain gets damaged, there's something on the outside that's not going to work right anymore. Kind of like a software problem in a computer. Yeah. They eventually determined what had caused mine was... Um, and this is another medical term that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> um, but in layman's terms, it's the, the, the atrium, the halt, the, the central wall in your heart that, that separates the two main chambers. Mm-hmm. I had a birth defect, and there was a hole in that uh, wall, yeah. and blood wasn't mixing properly. And I've had it all my life and apparently had no problems with it. It's just that whatever, for whatever reason, that day, um, a, a little a really itty-bitty, probably microscopic clot of blood just got shot up the wrong pipe and went straight to the brain and uh, severed something, something something important. Yeah. Um, I ended up later having a surgery where they essentially put a plug, so there's no danger of that happening again. But uh, what was affected, part of my, sp- my speech was affected, and movements and coordination on the left half of my body was affected. 
that's why I wasn't able to walk because my legs and arms just weren't doing my leg and my arm just weren't doing what I was wanting them to. Mm-hmm. Was it one half, like like the right half of your body, or the bottom portion, or like what what all was affected? Pretty much just the left half, the left half of the body. Luckily, I'm right-handed, so that was the one little Excellent. blessing out of the whole thing. Yeah, silver but, lining. Uh, yeah. But it it was really weird. It'd be like um, if I tried to like say pick up a pencil with my left hand, it, you know, something everybody takes for granted, but. My arm either wouldn't move to go pick up that pencil or it would just flop off to the to the left and not complete opposite direction of where I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the leg. I just couldn't move it. Um, if I kept my eyes shut, you know how when you – if you keep your eyes shut, you can move your arms around. You can generally tell where they are. Yeah. If I kept my eyes shut, I could move my arm all over the place and I just couldn't tell where it was. It's really – confusing and disorienting and it was it was just it was hell as far as initial treatment goes i uh they did a little bit of physical therapy with me at liberty hospital but eventually they sent me to uh, st luke's in smithville just so everybody knows there is a, a mental health facility in that hospital too but there's another floor that's physical therapy and i spent a couple months in there learning how to walk again how learning how to do just basic things like showering and brushing my teeth on my hair and everything it was like trying to relearn everything mm-hmm. speech therapy the speech i had the stereotypical stroke face i guess if you if that's what you want to call that kind of droopy and, on one side or whatever and uh, that was the first thing that i was able to clear up it's been like it's been years and uh i don't even notice because you don't look at your own face a whole lot but i have noticed if i look in the mirror if i smile i i tend to smile on the right half of my face if I grin, it's always the right half that does it. So there is still a little bit of residual on the face. With the physical therapy, like I said, I just I, I was in there for a few couple months, just learning how to, I guess, function. It was very life changing, I guess. What happened with your work? Well, the doctors and thinking back, I think the doctors told me this so I wouldn't lose faith or get too depressed or get upset or something because doctors are supposed to, I guess, comfort you or try to make you. You know, try try to think on the bright side of things. That you know, of course, that was one of my questions. You know, when or if, you know, can I go back to being a police officer? Because that that's what I was. I was a street patrol cop, mm-hmm. which is a very physically demanding job. And I was always told, well, we don't know yet. Um, you'll 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 recover from this, you know, eventually. And I kept saying, well, are we talking two weeks, two months, twenty years? You know, they never would give me a clear answer. I reported back to my chief, exactly what the doctor told me. He said, I will recover. They just can't give me a guideline. You know, everybody's different. So the chief um, told the city council, and they agreed to keep me on the books as an active officer. But my absence also meant that other officers had to like, cover you know, cover my shifts, you know, a lot of overtime, doubles. Um, they had to call them reservists, all kind of stuff. Yeah, but So the guys there, they were doing their best to cover, cover my loss and, and keep me on. But as the months went on, it got to the point that it was causing strain in the department, and they really didn't know when I was coming back, and the doctor still wouldn't tell me. And the city council started to press my chief to terminate me. Refill the position with somebody that... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I fully understand that, because it's, it's an essential job that needs to be filled, and causing you know, financial strain. You know, Every government complains about its budget, but imagine a smaller city. Their budget and resources are a little more limited than others. And public safety is the number one priority. 
I have no, I have no malice towards them for doing it. It's mm-hmm. just, it was kind of shitty for me. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, because the doctors kept promising I would recover fully and be be physically able to do that kind of work again. I was in my mind, I was thinking, all right, well, maybe it won't be with what we like, but uh, I will return to police work someday. And I don't want to go back and try to uh, get a job at the police department with having been fired from another department on my record. So I resigned my position. Mm-hmm. You now that was that. And, you know, they hired someone else to take my position and moved on. And, and I, I continued on with physical therapy for almost a full year before I was able to, to actually work again. And my degree was in criminal justice, so I wanted to stay in in the, the law enforcement criminal justice field in some form. So yeah. it was a full year before I eventually got to work. And uh, I worked for a juvenile uh, detention facility in Lenworth, Kansas initially, another one in Jackson County for the Jackson County Family Court before I eventually got a job with uh, Missouri uh, Department of Corrections and serving as a probation parole officer since 2006. And that's what I'm currently doing. And you, But you don't have to chase anyone down or do anything that's really physically no, exerting no not not really um probation pull officers um we're 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 not cops um we carry badges and guns and we we can uh we can issue warrants for people's arrests but we don't actually go out there and chase people down you know, and slap the cuffs on or anything i mean we're we're trained to defend ourselves if need be but that isn't our primary function mm-hmm. but the vast majority of the stuff i do is I'm stuck in a cubicle typing up reports on people, interviewing people, traveling to jails, going to court. Most, It's more of a white-collar aspect of law enforcement. But you always wanted to be a police officer growing up. Like I, I got that feeling from the day I first met you. Is That was your passion, was to be a cop. Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, actually, initially, growing up, I always wanted to be in the army because that's what my father and mm-hmm. grandfather had always done. It was kind of a family thing, but but the diabetes thing, diabetes is a dis- medical disqualifier, so I couldn't go into the army. But I wanted to be a MP in the army. So when I was finally got realized I, I couldn't do the army thing, I figured I'll be a civilian, I'll be a real cop instead instead of an army cop. The law enforcement thing has always been there. That was from from a child, yeah. So just, that's why I've always tried to stay in the field, even though I'm not doing exactly what I wanted to. I'm still in the field. I, I just remember when this happened and and knew that that was going to be career ending for you. It was heart wrenching to like Jeremy and I. We couldn't even imagine how it must have been for you. Yeah, it 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 was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> it, because there was just a whole lot of uncertainty. I mean, for a while there, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to walk again. Um, let alone do anything else. And then when it got to the point that, you know, I realized I was going to have to re-enter the workforce, just how, how or what was I going to do? Because I wasn't trained to be anything else. There were some people that said, oh, well, at least you can go flip burgers. And it's like, well, actually, I couldn't at the time. I didn't have the coordination to even do that. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know what I could do. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned before, I was 27 years old when this happened. Mm-hmm. Still pretty young. It, it just, it was just so much uncertainty and uh, having a dream torn out because becoming a cop it's not an easy thing i mean there are there's the rare occasion where someone you know graduates from college or they're or 20 years old and they go and apply for a, a police department job and they get it right away and get put through academy and they're put on the street but that's kind of few and far between it's it's kind of a, an effort there's a lot of competition i am no way going to uh, 
talk uh, down about veterans because I fully support our veterans. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be one myself. But in the workforce, especially in law enforcement, uh, veterans' preference makes it really, really difficult for people that uh, don't have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and that was back in the uh, late '90s or 2000s when I first got into business. There's even more veterans out there now, and not that they don't deserve it, but for the people that are not veterans, it's it's an obstacle they have to overcome. So it, it so when when I got into it, when I finally got my the police job, I had put myself through the through the, through the academy on my own. Um, had take some contract and private security jobs, which are sometimes looked down upon and had to do that. So I, I was actually at the point in my life where I thought I finally got things on track and was moving forward. Then all of a sudden, everything was just ripped out. You've dedicated years of your life to become a police yeah. officer. Yeah. Years, student loans, which I'm still paying off. Um, time, there's some friendships just because the nature of the business I was into, I had to sever it cost me some relationships because of the uh the hours i had to work i mean it's just there's a lot of dedication a lot of time a lot of money put into becoming law enforcement of any kind and then you became a, a police officer for less than a year technically i was on the books for about two years but that was you know the second half of that was just the wait and see when i was in rehab but yeah. i was actually in uniform for a little less than a year i was still rookie status yeah i couldn't imagine myself like going dedicating education, all this stuff to do what I love and then have that just be cut off after such a short amount of time. Now I realize you've gone on and you stayed in law enforcement. You stayed in the criminal justice system, but you wanted to be a cop, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. In, in the years since I, you know, I have moved on with my life. I, I've had a marriage that, that did fail, but I got two beautiful daughters out of it. I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. There isn't a single day that goes by that I don't miss being uniformed. But reality has to kick in, too. i got to move on, got to pay the bills, got to take care of my children. Obviously, now you're older and, and the qualifications might be out of sight. But w- were you pretty much disqualified from being a uniformed police officer from there on out? I mean, is, what, what are the requirements and do you have to do certain things? Um, well... Every individual department in the United States is it's basically its own individual. It's like, it's like they're all their own independent company. Mm-hmm. There's no national police in the United States, which yeah. one of the, I guess, advantages to every single department being its own individual entity is that they all have different requirements. Mm-hmm. I ran into this um, when I was first trying to get a police job, too, um, because I'm a diabetic. Some agencies don't allow diabetics. Mm-hmm. I lucked out to happen to end up working for an agency the chief was a diabetic so <laughs> that wasn't an issue with him yeah so it could be something as simple as that some don't allow asthmatics um some look really deep into your personal life credit ratings um who your friends are whether or not your second cousin's girlfriend is a felon you know just yeah, every every place looks at something different mm-hmm. but the based one universal thing is that you're expected to be able to overpower people physically if need be, to, to effect an arrest. Yeah. And uh, having 50% of my body not working properly, that just won't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't even run. In fact, it's, it was 2003. It wasn't until 2016 where I was able to run again. I ran again for the, for the first time uh, last summer. Um, and I found out by accident I was playing with my kids in, in our yard. And, and uh, I went to go 
grabbed one of them and realized I had just sprinted a little way to get her and realized I could run. So that, that was kind of a milestone for me, but I, that's all these years I just couldn't run. Do you think like you're 85% back to capacity or? Um, anymore, that would probably be a pretty good assessment. Um, in probation and parole, even though we don't affect arrests or anything, every once in a while we have to defend ourselves. So we uh, annually have to be certified in self-defense techniques. And uh, I've passed, well, most, most of the time since I've been with the agency, I've been able to use my left arm effectively for that. Yeah. So the run, running still, well, until recently, has been, been an issue too. But mm-hmm. things are improving. It's just I don't think I will ever be 100%. And if there was some magic pill that cured me to be 100% again, um, I would definitely look into it. But <laughs> I'm I'm 41 years old. I, that, I don't know if going back in uniform would be a thing for me to do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of think I kind of missed the boat. The, the prime of my life pretty much was this injury, well, not going to injury, but this uh, condition pretty much robbed me of it. Yeah, we're we're getting up there, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're not too far behind, right? No, I'm 40. <laughs> oh, you're 40? Okay. Thank you, John, for sharing. Our next story comes from Beth, who suffers a concussion, but the symptoms and issues that happen afterwards seem to last a lot longer than most of us would think. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. And, and what... I'm Beth Wires. I live in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Back on July 9th of 2016, I hit my head. It's. I wish I had a better story for that, but I actually was bending down, putting stuff in the refrigerator, and I stood up and hit the bottom of the freezer door. It happens to the best of us. It really does. <laughs> I was complaining I mean, that every time I reached into my refrigerator, I would cut my hand on one of the, the shelves. And my, oh, my, gosh. Yeah. And it was like drawing blood. And I'm like, why? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. If only I did that. So I stood up like, what in the world just happened? And all I could think of was, wow, I hit my head really hard. You know, I've never hit my head that hard. But I didn't pass out, I didn't black out, didn't see stars, none of that. But I was getting ready to clean the house and I thought maybe I should just sit down for a minute, you know, just to be sure. Sat down, I was fine. So I got up, cleaned the house and went on about my day. So the next day comes, I do the same thing. I was completely fine. I exercised that day, anything I normally did, went to bed got up the next day, totally fine, until about 4 p.m. and I got a little headache, which I really didn't think anything of. You know, I get headaches, so no big deal. And the next day, I actually had already had an appointment with my family doctor scheduled, and I just thought, well, if I'm not feeling well, I'll just ask him about it. I still did not feel well. My head was pounding, and I was sensitive to light. So I thought, well, I better ask him. So he's like, yep, you got a concussion. You need to go to the ER. Let's get a CAT scan just to make sure. So I got a CAT scan. Everything was fine there and got the spiel of seven to 10 days. Don't do anything and you'll be fine. Well, a couple of days go by after that. 
you know, I'm not feeling horrible, but I'm not feeling great. And by Friday, I was just horrible. I couldn't stand light at all. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to eat. I just wanted to sit in silence. Saturday was really bad. My husband came home from work and he was trying to get me to eat something, you know, trying to find a place where I could just go in total silence and darkness. And he was like, let's want to take you down to the basement. We're walking down the steps and he's helping me. And I get to a point where I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to make it down these steps. It was like, I just, my foot was moving, but it was just like I was kicking or something. You kind of forgot how to maneuver. Right. So that freaked him out. He runs a landscape company and he knows lots of people in the medical field. And one of them was a radiologist and who he talks to quite often. And he was like, I'm just going to call him and see what he says. So he had him do like a couple little like finger tests, you know, of watching my eyes. And I just couldn't even like open my eyes to even try to follow it. He said, you know, take her to the emergency room. We go to another emergency room, uh, different from the first one I went to. And they told me I had post-concussion syndrome. What does that mean? I don't even know. It's basically just like you got a concussion and you're still having issues. That's really all I got from it. So it's typical concussion symptoms. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's just like it's lasting longer than the seven to 10 days. They gave me, you know, just like some pain pills because my head just hurt that bad. Again, just told me, well, it's just going to take longer for you to heal. You know, it might take a couple weeks, you know, instead of the seven to 10 days. So I'm like, great. Two, three weeks go by and I'm still not well. I'm better. You know, I, I'm functioning a little bit more. But I mean, all I did was basically sit in a chair and actually listen to podcasts. That's when I found out about podcasts when oh. I got my concussion. So Generation Y is what I started with and I was addicted. Thank you. Thank you for that because I don't know what I would have done all this time if there would have been podcasts to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so I know because the radio just isn't any fun, right? No, not at all. My husband ended up calling the guy, the radiologist again and talking to him like, you know, she's not better. And everybody just tells us, sit and do nothing. You'll get better. And he actually told us of a doctor to go to. Finally come like, I think it was probably early August. So it had been a good month since I hit my head. Mm-hmm found a doctor and she said, you know, everything is typical and she wanted me to go to vestibular rehab. I started doing that pretty much immediately, two to three times a week for a good month and a half, two months. And I actually started feeling like a lot better. And by mid-October, I think this is working. And I was able to drive again, you know, just basically do normal things. But slowly, you know, integrate everything back in. So you weren't driving, you weren't doing, you weren't able to do anything. I wasn't able to do anything. Like I love to cook and bake and I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't clean my house. I couldn't do laundry. I couldn't drive. I mean, I could, it took everything I had just to ride in the car to go to these appointments. That wasn't fun. 
by mid-October, I had a wedding to go to in Tennessee, and I asked my doctor if I could go, and, you know, she said yes, but she was concerned about, you know, the altitude and everything, but said, you know, as long as I don't go up just in the mountains and stay forever, I'll be fine. It was just a couple days, and I came back. I could tell, like, I didn't feel as good as I did before I left, but I thought, you know, I hadn't really had that much activity in a really long time, so I'm going to be tired and worn out. So a couple days go by, and I'm feeling pretty good, and I got back on a Sunday, and then that following Friday, there was a fundraiser in my area, and I was going to do some baking for it. And I felt great. Like, I felt like I did before I left for the trip. So, you know, I wasn't concerned or anything. Mm -hmm. But after I did that, I went to a wedding that night for just a little bit. And I haven't been the same since. That was like late October. And early November, I called the doctor. And I was having kind of like a new batch of symptoms. I was dizzy where I wasn't dizzy before. I had a lot of pain in my right eye, and I did have some balance issues. She said that she thought I was having migraines in my right eye and just to take like medication and then take me back to rehab. Well, I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to medication, and I, of course, I had to have issues with the medication, so I couldn't take that anymore. Always, yeah. You know, and she was just kind of like, didn't really say anything else, just continue rehab. You know, I'm going again two to three times a week. I'm definitely better than when I was when I first started going, but I keep having these same issues and they don't really get any better. I just started kind of looking things up on the internet as much as I could because I really can't look at that kind of stuff for very long. All of it says you have cancer or you're going to die soon. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I found this place in Pennsylvania and it's like this big concussion place. And I told my husband, I was like, I want to go there. No, where it was in Pittsburgh. I don't, I've, I've looked in Ohio. I don't know where to go. And being so close to Cincinnati, I would have thought like I could have found something. We decided, okay, we'll, we'll go to Pittsburgh. So I actually had an appointment scheduled for tomorrow in Pittsburgh. And it took like Wow, six weeks to get that appointment. But in over Christmas time, my husband talked to another one of his customers who is in like to sports medicine. And his partner actually did surgery on my husband's knee last year. And my husband was having problems with his knee again. And so it was like talking to him about it and said, you know, hey, it's not a good time to do surgery, you know, because of my wife, she still can't drive. And And the guy was like, okay, what's going on? You know, tell me more about this. And he's like, we have, you know, one of the best doctors here in Cincinnati. We were like, what? (laughs) I've searched, you know, we both have searched for months now. It's weird that some doctors, they don't know what social media or any type of online Mm -hmm. presence, what that means. Yeah. Until we found this guy, I couldn't find him on the internet, you know, and then after I knew his name, then I was able to find out more about him. But until then, it was just like, wasn't there. They actually got me in um, last week to see him. So now there's actually like a plan 
there are a team of doctors and other professionals who basically deal with each symptom that I'm having. It's just like, finally, you know, I feel like there may be, you know, an end to this. And it might, it still might be a while, but I feel like I'm finally going to get help. So it's been months now and you, it's taken you finding a sports medicine doctor. And of mm-hmm. course, when I think of sports medicine, I think of football players getting concussions. I think of boxers, yep. you know, being beat up. I think right. I think you really lucked out here with finding the right combination because most doctors they they just treat the symptom they just treat the general idea of what what's wrong and I, mm-hmm. I think you're I think you're on the right track because wow if you, if you've been going this long with all these problems that's terrible yeah I mean it's it's unreal and but really what I have found out through all of this is that. It is really more normal than people think. They have told me to expect at least another six months before I'm really back to normal. Is there any treatment like for it or is it literally just wait and heal? No, like there is treatment. That's like what's so aggravating Mm -hmm. is, you know, basically since I hit my head, I should have been doing all this stuff. But the doctors don't know, like even emergency rooms, it's just, oh, just wait it out, you know, seven to 10 days. They don't tell you what to do if you're not better in seven to 10 days. Like, for instance, um, with my eye problem, the doctor that I just saw, my, my right eye is not tracking. And so it hurts a lot because it's basically straining for me to see properly. Luckily, I don't have like double vision or things like that that go along with that. So I'm grateful for that. I am going to be seeing an eye doctor and they can measure my eye to see like how off it is. And then the doctor told me that he's pretty certain that they will prescribe these prism glasses. I don't know all the details of it. Did you say prism like a glass prism? Yeah, I guess. I don't even know. (laughs) It's just like bizarre. But it will strengthen my eye, I guess, so that I start tracking correctly. So that should be interesting. And that's one of the biggest things because my eye just hurts. It's hard to read. I can't really follow sometimes. You know, I have to go back to like, you know, kindergarten and use my finger or piece of paper to follow the line to read. It's causing you migraines. It's causing you these headaches, but it sounds like the symptom of the concussion. Yeah. I mean, it's really crazy of how you hit your head and then you can have all these different issues. Mm -hmm. I've been having a lot of neck pain since the second go around and it's just kind of always there and the doctor's like, yeah, that's normal. He's like, we've got to, it's like a muscle, I guess. It's like at the base of your skull. And for whatever reason, it just won't relax. But some of my other symptoms, you know, they've got to get rid of that before they can work on some other things. So it's really just crazy when you think of like somebody who hits their head, like you can have all these different issues. And for you to have this happen, I mean, I know MMA fighters, I know... (laughs) boxers Mm -hmm. and yet most of these guys or women (laughs) i know both (laughs) right uh, they seem to be fine for the most part yeah i mean and i just you know i think of like all these football players that 
you know, go out for a concussion and then like a week or two, they're back. It blows my mind. And then, you know, they, they have these concussion protocols where they think they have a concussion. They're going to take them off the field and they're going to run these tests. Well, I feel like I would have totally passed that, you know, the day I hit my head because I was perfectly fine. Yeah. And then if two weeks later you're reporting a problem or however long, right? they're, they're not going to think, oh, it was when he, you know, that line run and got tackled that one time two weeks ago. They're not going to make that right. connection. Yeah. You know, and then what happens if they hit their head again in the meantime? Because they keep playing. And I hear that if you're dehydrated, it makes it even worse because there's not as much oh. brain fluid up there to pad your brain from hitting, you know, bouncing around. So if yeah. you're a fighter, a boxer, MMA fighter, and you're dropping weight, well, if you're having to make your weight the day before or the day of the fight, you're putting yourself in major danger. Gosh. Um, meanwhile, if you have high school kids playing football, if it's a really hot day out and they're mm -hmm. sweating and they're not drinking water and they're training, they're doing their, their tackles and it, it makes, it just makes it even worse. So it's, Gosh. you know, a lot of people just don't understand what I have been through and they, they don't get why I'm not better. You know, like a long time ago, they just don't understand. They don't understand why it takes so long. And people just don't realize like this is a lot more normal than people think. But yet it's still something that, you know, is kind of being discovered and just kind of coming out. Like there's a lot more issues than you realize. I, I'm sure people might be like, well, just get over it. Or, oh, you're yeah. just being a hypochondriac now. You, you just have yeah. all these problems and you're in pain. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like people can't see like that my head is feels like full of pressure or that my eye hurts, you know, or that my neck hurts. They don't see those things. So it, it's harder for them to like grasp that. Yeah. So it's hard. And, you know, not only is it hard on me, I mean, it's been so hard on my family because I mean, I'm able to do a lot more now, but you know, I'm still not back to like really cooking dinner or cleaning the house and basic things, things like that. Did they do a, a CT scan and, and tell you if there was bruising and stuff? Yeah, they did that um, initially, and they said everything was fine. And then I did have an MRI in early December because, you know, I wasn't getting better in my eye, and they wanted just to kind of rule it out. They didn't think they would see anything. Nothing showed up, but it was kind of like, let's just cross things off, make sure it's basically now just kind of sit and wait and see what this new doctor says because I'm going to, I guess it's like a speech pathologist because I have, I have a little bit of memory issues where I just cannot think of the word I'm trying to say. Like, it's just not there. This speech pathologist will work with me for that kind of thing. Like, they don't expect that I'll have to see them for very long. But I did have to take all these tests on a computer when I saw the doctor last week. And I did have some pretty major memory issues, like short-term memory issues. Mm -hmm. I have so, those, but I think it's a lack of sleep. But <laughs> Yeah, that's my other problem. <laughs> that's, uh, they, they say that's like the first symptom of uh, like insomnia or when you don't sleep is you, you start lacking vocabulary. 
Yes. I mean, and that, that's a huge problem when you get a concussion too, like you can't sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I'm dealing with that too. So yeah, it's kind of like all these symptoms will play on each other, Yeah, you know, and they don't help each other. That's for sure. Oh, I think, uh, getting your, your neck and your sleep handled would probably help immensely just right out of the gate. And then from there you can start to understand like what, what are the other symptoms and, 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 or they can start treating the concussion directly, but I don't know what that treatment is. So, (laughs) I mean that, and that's the thing like that they say they don't have any treatment, but yet they really do. It's Mm -hmm. just, you treat your symptoms. I mean, that's basically what the plan is now. You know, I'm going to see the eye doctor and the speech person and the neck guy, and then I'll go to uh, vestibular rehab. It's a common thing. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. I've never had one in my life with all my skateboarding and everything, but I... Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm surprised. That's good. And I never wore a helmet, ever. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, of course. We didn't back then. No. I guess I lucked out, and every time I fell... I rolled, I did whatever. I knew how to fall really well. I don't think I could do that now, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think everybody's, you know, hitting their head on their freezer door every day, but <laughs> I'm proof it can happen. <laughs> I got a side by side. Now I used to have an over under now it's a side by side. So <laughs> yes. See, and this one is in our garage and the one in the house is the side by side. And my husband was like, I think we need to get rid of that fridge. And I'm like, Psh. It needs to go. I'm not allowed to go out there anymore. You know, my brother-in-law, he was nice. He got me a uh, a hard hat. You know, it's like, thanks so much. That's what brothers are for. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that was nice. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. And Okay. Thanks, Justin. Okay. You have a good one. I appreciate it. You too. All right. Thank you, Beth. Next up, we have Ashley who can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Search for Endo the Pain. E-N-D-O-T-H-E-P-A-I-N. Endo the Pain. It's a story that is a little heartbreaking because it's possible that earlier treatment could have helped. But I'll let Ashley tell her story. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> good, good. I just want to say I'm a huge fan of both podcasts. Huge awesome. fan. Thank you so much. I, you know, it's I, I, I'm still not understanding what celebrityism is yet. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little nervous to talk to you, but it's exciting. <laughs> well, I'm just a normal person like you, so just pretend like we're like out, you know, drinking coffee and just having a conversation. Oh, okay, good. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> Ashley Nicole, um, I live in Warren, Michigan. That's, I'm I'm 31 years old, and I've been dealing with this for 16 years now. It all started shortly after I lost my mom um, to her battle with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. She was she was 40. She passed just before my 16th birthday. Up until that point, I really didn't have any issues with my period. But um, a few months after she had passed, that's when I saw the pain the first time. Me and my dad, God, we went to my grandma's. And I remember I was alone in the house. And he went out back to split wood or do something the pain just hit like a brick wall. It was this intense pain. I thought my insides were literally going to explode. All I could do was was scream. I was balled up on a couch when my, my dad came in and he asked me what the hell was wrong with me. 
I sent him on my period. I'm just in a lot of pain. So he grabbed me some Advil and went back to what he was doing. And that was, uh, that was the first sign that something was, was wrong. Did Uh, you think like your appendix burst or did you, I mean, I didn't know what to think. It just, it, it was just intense stabbing pain. I didn't honestly know what the hell was wrong with me. It was, it was extremely strong cramps, Mm -hmm. but it, it was like radiating throughout my entire midsection. It was awful. Absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Not long after that, I went to the doctor to discuss what I was going through. That was uh, my original, like just my normal physician. He looked at me and said, well, you know, you, that's a part of being a woman. You know, that's, yeah. that's what you're going to go through. That's just a normal period. And those are cramps and, you know, take some Midol or Pamprin or Advil or leave. And that's all you can do. Kind of like a suck it up buttercup type of attitude, you know. You take them for their word. They're doctors, you know. Yeah, they should they, know better. They, right, they should know exactly what what you're talking about, and they know what they're talking about, type of thing. And no, not so much. And what, I, something that I always hear in this realm is, oh, you'll have mild cramping and discomfort, and it'll last for a few days, and you know, <laughs> you know that yeah. that's even if you aren't suffering from anything serious. I, I don't really know anyone that has what the description is. <laughs> it's like on a right, regular right. cycle. It's yeah. uh, it, And a lot of women don't talk about it. A lot of women with this disease don't, don't even, they don't even like to talk about it because they were ignored for so long. It, and it's a taboo subject, you know, it's yeah. sadly not enough people talk about their periods. And that's where I try to tried to step in and make it not so make it a little easier to talk about but well it's yeah I, every woman goes through this so right absolutely <laughs> they do every every woman has their their fair share of pain when it comes to periods but painful cramps to the point where you can't even stand up where where you're just in so much pain that you know I've vomited from the pain I've blacked out from it that is not normal and women need to know that that is not normal and, you know, to, to seek out until you get your answers. You can't, you can't quit. I can't even tell you how many doctors and gynecologists I went through. It, it's up there. Probably I'd say between 12 to 14 um, gynecologists and doctors I went to. What did they tell you? What was the general thing or what was one of them? Oh, that- God, it was always, you know, it was the attitude of it's all in your head. You're crazy. This is normal. This is, you know, what you're going to have to deal with. You know, take some Advil, take some Tylenol, take whatever, you know, and I, they would push drugs on me. I think I tried Vicodin for the first time when I was 16. It made me throw up because it, it just upset my stomach really bad. They tried Darvacet, Tramadol. I, I, you know, they pushed as many drugs as they could, but they never tried to figure out what was causing it. A few of my gynecologists went as far as taking out the ultrasound and they'd look and say, everything looks fine. Your, your left ovary is a little smaller than it probably should be, but everything looks good. You know, there was one doctor told me, <laughs> It was because my uterus was tilted. And I was thinking, that's strange because my sister has the same thing and she's not, you know, writhing in pain every month. So I knew it wasn't because of that. But the sad part about it is you start to believe them. You, You start to think, okay, I'm just nuts. Like, I'm just this weak person that can't deal with a normal period. 
I mean, you don't know any better than to think that well, you've you're had, just weak. Yeah, you've had 20 plus healthcare professionals tell you this is yeah. normal. And who are you to say that they're all wrong? <laughs> right. And it, and it starts to sink in. And then, you know, because my mom passed away, I, you know, my dad and my sister for the longest time thought I was doing it for attention. They thought I was doing it to get out of school or to get out of work. Um, I almost didn't graduate. I could never hold down a job. I didn't have anyone in my corner. It was just me. Yeah. You just start to believe them that you're just not, <laughs> you're, you're losing it, you know, but that's what you have to deal with. You have to, to deal with um, the pain and trying to fake your way through life and try to act like everything's all right. But the depression that comes with it is awful. It's a very lonely disease. Very would, lonely. Would it last longer than a regular period? For me personally, um, the pain for me, it's the first three or four days of my period, I am dead to the world. Like there, I, I'm not able to do anything. I'm stuck on my couch or in my bed with my heating pad and just screaming. I feel awful for my husband because he has to watch me go through it. And he just, he feels, you know, helpless. He can't do anything. And you can't go into work like that. It's... Oh, God, no. God, no. I, for the, for a while, um, when I was working, I, I no longer work. Luckily, my husband can support me. I, I, I used to be a hairstylist and, for a long time, when I was working with my best friend, Danielle, we had massage tables in the back. And on my really bad days, I would just lay in there and cry. And she would kind of cover the front. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's really hard to work when you have this disease because not only do you have to call off, but then you're putting that on you know other people that you work with that have to come in to cover for you. And it causes a lot of issues. I, I can't even imagine trying to do that and every month having to schedule yeah. around it your life yeah whether it be work yes. or anything <laughs> and, it, and and it's not just during your period I got to make that clear it was a few months ago I decided to write down in my phone every time I had pain because you don't just get pain during your period you can have sporadic pains during the month and I averaged I think it was after six months of writing everything down I had averaged five to seven days out of each month that I didn't have any pain. So, I mean, I could be not on my period and walking at the grocery store and my knees will buckle because, you know, the pain just is all of a, all of a sudden just hits you. And it, there's no warning. You can only do so much to prepare for your actual period. But those days that you have no warning sign, you, you just you have to try to deal with it. So when did you decide that this isn't normal and, and what did what happened what was the the shift like I said before I just started to believe them and I just this is my life I'm just gonna have to deal with it you're gonna have to suck it up and move on and just try to deal with it the best you can and it was after me and my husband got married we decided to try to have kids we tried um, to conceive for about a year year and a half and I wasn't getting pregnant. I never once got a positive ovulation strip. I was doing everything I possibly could from charting my temperature. You know, I'm on all the, the fertility blogs. And my husband looked at me and said, I, you know, maybe it's time we go see, you know, a fertility specialist. And the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, God, another doctor. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't want to go to another doctor. But he was right. And um, that's when I met my angel. That's what I call her. She's my angel. Um, she no longer works. She's a, uh, she's retired now, but 
Her name's Dr. Blacker, and she was amazing to me. She sat down with me and said, okay, what's been going on? And I wasn't originally going to tell her everything that had happened in the past. I was just going to tell her, you know, I'm having a hard time getting pregnant. But when she asked me what was going on, I just like unleashed everything on her. (laughs) I told her everything and she looked at me and she said, I think we need to schedule a surgery because I'm pretty sure you have endometriosis. And I remember hearing that word before. I had heard it um, from a girl I went to cosmetology school with. I didn't know a lot about it, but um, I had heard of it before. And go ahead and define what that is real quick, if you don't mind. Well, endometriosis is uh, a tissue um, that is usually lining your uterus. During the time that you're ovulating, your uterus produces this tissue that thickens so that if you get pregnant, it's... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, it's hard to explain. Basically what endometriosis is, though, is clumps of that tissue get outside of your uterus. They're called implants. They usually grow in or around your ovaries, fallopian tubes, um, the outer wall of your uterus, your intestines, and other organs in your belly. The implants have no way of leaving your body, so it causes extreme pain, scar tissue, adhesions, infertility, pregnancy, loss. Bleeding, inflammation, um, it forms cysts, and it even can block nearby organs. In some cases, they've found it in lungs, in stomach, bladder, rectum, um, even in the heart. They, they think it may travel through the bloodstream, but they haven't proven that yet. It, it acts similar to, a lot of doctors call it a benign cancer. It travels like cancer. Okay. It adheres to organs. It's, Extremely painful. So it's extra tissue that is yeah. growing unchecked pretty right. much. Right. And if you look at pictures of it, it looks, um, the adhesions kind of look like spider webs. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. And, you know, it can just adhere to anything. It just sticks to anything and everything. So then yeah. you go in for this surgery to get this checked out, huh? Yeah. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because for 10 years, all I heard was that I was what I was going through was normal. So it's like, oh my god, what if they go in and they don't find anything? Or and or, then, or, or what if they go in and they're wrong and it's just yeah, it's surgery. It's either scary. way, <laughs> yeah, either way, you're screwed. <laughs> like if they go in, you have endometriosis that has no cure. Yeah. Or if they go in and they don't find anything, you're nuts. And here's a huge bill because it's exploratory surgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was terrifying. The surgery was terrifying, but. I went through it and I remember waking up and my husband saying she found stage three endometriosis. It was the weirdest feeling, Justin. I, oh my God. It was like, I was almost relieved. I was relieved to have a disease that has no cure and no, barely any treatments to what I've already been trying, but I was relieved because I wasn't nuts. You, you've been gaslighted your entire life, and now yeah. you're justified. You, you're you're ten years right of hiding your pain, ten years of faking smiles, ten years of depression, and just pure torture. And you know you, you're you finally know what's going on, and you can't even do anything about it. Yeah, yeah she she even found that the endometriosis was growing on a, a tendon um, in my lower back near my spine. So it was, it was pulling on it. Cause I always had described the pain of my lower back, like uh, almost like a 70 pound child was sitting on my lower back all the time. 
So she was able to remove that, which caused instant relief to my lower back. Yeah. So this is definitely not limited to just your uterus and oh and god no no, no is... not by any means no not at all it, it it can spread to pretty much anywhere it wants to go my aunt before she passed away from breast cancer my my mom's sister she had the her lump removed on her breast and they found endometriosis up by her armpit uh-huh. by the lymph nodes mm-hmm. it, it can travel quite far so they removed this on your first surgery Yes, they removed it. Um, unfortunately, it grows right back. But they removed it so I could try to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we tried for about, uh, I think it was eight or nine months we were trying. And then all of a sudden, I, I remember I was sitting on the couch and I was like, holy crap. Like, the pain was just excruciating. It was all on my right side. Mm-hmm. And I was just crying and I was sweating. I had a really bad fever and my husband's like, oh my God, I think your appendix is going to burst. So we rushed me to the hospital thinking that it was my appendix. And um, they started running tests on me and they went to take me down to the CT room. And um, there was a ton of people in that room. I remember there's just a lot of people. And all of a sudden I hear this lady screaming from behind me, don't put her in there. Don't put her in there. She's pregnant. Oh, <laughs> and my my heart dropped. And I was like, if I'm pregnant, I'm not pregnant anymore. Something's wrong. And they rushed me down to the ultrasound. And uh, they kept having to fill up my bladder and releasing it so they could see around it. And I was just in so much pain. I felt so bad for that lady that was doing my ultrasound. I called her every name in the book because it just it was so painful. And um, that's when I found out I was having an ectopic pregnancy. It was, it was basically what what we thought at the beginning was that it was an ectopic pregnancy and that the baby was growing in my fallopian tube, but we later found out after they kept looking at my HCG levels, which are your you know pregnancy level, that my levels started to go down. So basically, it was becoming a tubal abortion where my body was just getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. But they had to still go in and do surgery to to remove my tube. And once they got in there, they realized what had happened was the endometriosis had packed its way into my tube, causing it to dilate to the size of a golf ball. So they had to completely remove my right tube. And that's when I found out that I would not be able to naturally conceive a child on my own. My left ovary didn't work. Uh, they tried to stimulate it to get it to work, and it, it wouldn't work. And then they had to take out my right tube. So it was at that point that I realized I wouldn't be able to have children. This, so. is, this is years of complaining and ringing the alarm bell, and nobody listened. Yep. No one listened. No one. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> It's, it's, um, it's one thing to be in as much pain as, you know, I'd been in, but it's another to completely lose your chance of having children with this man who, you know, you know, is going to be a terrific father. And as you're going through all this for 10 years, feeling completely worthless, um, that just adds to it so much more is not being able to, to have children. I mean, you're a woman, you should be able to have kids and, I, I never in my life felt more worthless until that point. Mm. It's awful I, not being able to, to conceive or it, it's, yeah. 
Well, you had awful. you had so many things happen that day. You had been told that the endometriosis going to stumble on saying it endometriosis <laughs> impacted one of your tubes. You yeah. were being told that you were losing your child, and you yeah. were being told that you weren't going to have another one. Right, all, all at the same time. Yep. There's there's no way to to wrap your head around it. It's just um, you just gotta suck it up and move on and and deal with it. And you know that's that's the type of attitude I had when I first found out I had the disease. But you know I was thinking I have to do something. I can't sit back and not do anything. You know, and that's why I I started endo the pain um, was because. I didn't want another 16 year old to go through what I did and not have anyone in her corner and, you know, to stand up for her or give her the information she needs. So that's why um, I started the, the website and the support group because I, uh, I couldn't stand by and let that happen to anybody or allow anyone to feel alone. I, mem- it's, um, I remember it's when a very you, lonely disease. Yeah. I remember when you followed me on Instagram, I, I saw the endo pain and, and my wife was actually, whoa, like it, that might be what I have because I have terrible, terrible cramps every every month. And hers lasts a lot longer. Hers, sometimes it goes on for almost two weeks. So two weeks out of every month, she's got issues. And yeah, it's just that, ongoing. I mean, she should definitely talk to someone because it, it can do a lot of damage the longer you don't know you have it. Yeah. And my story is, is very similar, if not identical, to so many women. On average, it takes 8 to 12 years to be diagnosed. And the reason why is because there's no test. They can't see it in an ultrasound, a CT, an MRI. The only way you can be diagnosed is through surgery. So that's why it's so unbelievably hard to get diagnosed and to get people to listen to you. If it wouldn't have took me 10 years, who knows, maybe the damage to my left ovary wouldn't have been done and I would have been able to have kids. I I don't know what would have happened. Mm -hmm. There there shouldn't be painful periods to the point where, you know, you can't move or you can't function. That's not normal. So I would definitely, definitely urge your wife to to go and and seek out either an endo specialist or even a fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. Usually gynecologists can't really do much. They'll, they'll hit you up with the ultrasound, and like I said, they can't see it. Yeah, it's just we've never planned on having children, so we never, you know, explored this sort of issue. Right, and, you know, right, that was, right. So but, that kind I of, mean, if she's in yeah, pain yeah. that much, I, that's not a, a, any way to live. But I wish I could say that if she found out that, you know, everything would change, but it doesn't. There's just... It's the same type of treatments. It's birth control or, or you know, um, pain medication or use your heating pad or your tens machine, and you know, that's it. You're you're given the same things you're given before you even know you have it. It's it's, it's frustrating. It really is, and she she has leg pains, ankle pains, all these other kind of issues during that time. Uh-huh. And she calls it Shark Week, but <laughs> so. oh my god, that's brilliant! <laughs> she always tells me it's Shark Week, and um, we I call it my week of hell. So, yeah. 
doctors don't have much to say. She's been on and off birth control trying to see if it would help or hurt, whatever. And it just, it's, it's ongoing and it's terrible to fight with insurance companies and doctors and all oh this. God, just trying yeah. to, you're, you're, it is. It, and not all birth controls work. I mean, I can't be on birth control. It, the first birth control I tried, I was, I had the worst insomnia. I could not sleep. And then the next birth control, I turned into a completely different person. Like it changed my personality. I was just a giant bitch. <laughs> Every time I tried a new birth control, it, it just something was wrong with it that it, it would affect me and I, I couldn't deal. It sucks. It sucks for sure. But, you know, I'm hoping that Endo Sisters will listen to this. I'm going to, you know, post about it mm -hmm. once you release it. But if any Endo Sisters are listening, I am always here for them. Mm -hmm. You know, I that's why I started the Facebook so they could easily message me. It's important for them to know that they're not alone in this battle, that I'm here for them. The main thing, though, too, Justin, is with anybody, with anything, when you go to a doctor, you have to remember that you're the boss. You are paying them for a service. Do not let them push you out of that office without getting answers to your questions. A lot of people are intimidated by doctors or think they know everything, and they don't. You have to you have to keep pushing. And doctors always love it when you have this printout from the internet and you're diagnosing yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> right. And I'm you know, do what you gotta do, but yeah. get the answers that you're looking for. I mean, I was called every name in the book from, you know, hypochondriac. You have to fight it. You know something. You know your body better than anyone. Mm -hmm. You can't give up on yourself. I can't tell people enough that when there's something wrong, when you know there's something wrong, you have to get someone to believe you, whether it be the doctor right. or whoever, just because I think most people do know their body and they know when there's something off. And mm -hmm. especially when it comes to your your monthly cycle, you you go through it all the time. You You know what it's supposed to feel like, what it's not supposed to feel like, and You've been dealing with this for 16 years, so 192 times. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I'm lucky that I, you know, I have a good support system with my, my husband and my dad and my sister yeah. are fabulous with it now. You know, they felt awful yeah. when they, they first found out what was going on. Because, yeah, you know, and I can't blame them for thinking that I was doing it for attention because, you know, my mom did just pass away and... But I, I do have a good support system now that helps mm -hmm. tremendously. But it uh, it's still a very lonely disease. Mm -hmm. It it really is because not even women with endo don't know exactly what you're going through. Yeah. It's uh, it's mental, it's physical, it's it's emotional, it's it's all of it. It it just wreaks havoc on everything. You're out on Instagram and Facebook, and it's endo the pain. So e n yeah. e n d o t h e p A-I-N. Right. And I have to give credit to my husband because he came up with the name for it. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, Thank you for giving me the platform to talk about this because it's not talked about often enough and, and it needs to be. It needs to be. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of my podcast is to talk about things that affect everyone every day, yet we yeah. just shove it under the carpet and move along like it doesn't exist. <laughs> right, right. No, and I, I so much appreciate it. I'm, when I'm in a lot of pain and, you know, I'm trying to just concentrate on either breathing or, 
or just getting through the day. I'll listen to the pod, to your podcast just to, you know, get my mind off it. It's a huge help. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. It's just something to focus on. That's not ho- yeah. horrible. And for some reason, <laughs> the murder and, you know, mystery and mayhem and, you know, <laughs> that stuff, uh, that stuff helps keep my mind off it. <laughs> As always, I'd like to thank all the guests that came on today. I hope everyone listening might have heard something new or or could relate to some of the stories. It was a little bit of a different type of episode for me. I, I didn't I didn't know quite what I wanted to do with these stories at first, but as the days passed and I got a, a new story about health effects. By the time I got three in a row, I thought, well, here's a full house that I can play. And, and I hope it does give some people understanding on possibly something they're going through or a loved one. And we'll go from there. I'm going to be traveling next week, uh, possibly to do a TV show. Keep that on the DL. It might delay my next release by a little bit, but I'm planning on taking my laptop with me and any downtime I have in the hotel, doing more editing and getting more stuff out there. Again, I still feel a little bad about last month and not being able to get out as much as I wanted to, so thank you dearly to all my Patreon supporters, especially the new ones that have just signed up. I hope you go back and listen to some of that content I've put out. I also will be releasing a couple stories that were interviews I did on the Generation Y. They can be found out on genypod.com for free, but I'm going to put them out on the peripheral because they were truly what inspired me to start this. And they are a little different. Some of you might have already listened to them, so sorry if, if it's redundant for you, but I'll be releasing those this month and next. Thanks for listening.